Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 191 with Ann Janzer. Anne shares a wealth of hard-won wisdom for writing well at work, and that's alliteration and hard to say, a bit of a tongue twister, but she brings it, and it's a whole lot of fun. So you'll walk away learning, one, how to overcome the biggest workplace writing problems, two, the six questions to ask yourself before you start writing anything, and three, the best ways to get your points across without offending. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items referenced here, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep191. And while you're over at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of our handy resources. One I direct you to right now is the 10 Days to Winning at Work free email course. That contains actionable tidbits, excerpts from my Enhanced Thinking and Collaboration training program, which on average, slashes 86 minutes of waste per person per week out of the calendar. So you can get home early or do some more cool strategic thinking stuff. So that is on over there at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here is Anne's story. Anne Janzer is an author and writing coach who has worked with over 100 technology businesses in her career. Anne has written three books on marketing and writing. Her latest book is called The Workplace Writer's Process, A Guide to Getting the Job Done. It covers the things no one teaches you in writing class, how to set yourself up for success when writing on the job, how to collaborate with others on writing projects, and the secrets to writing effective content. Here's Anne. Anne, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm always delighted to talk to people about being awesome at writing on the job. Oh, cool. Well, it's such an important skill. And so I'd like to hear maybe first, though, about one of your earlier jobs. You were scheduling auditions for opera singers. I just imagine something hilariously fun might happen within that context. Is that the case? <laughs> it actually was more run of the mill than you, than you might think, um, which is, you know, I was uh, when I was a kid, my mom decided that she was going to start a regional opera theater. So my childhood was filled with, you know, cooking meals for conductors and, and you know, opera singers staying in the attic bedroom and things like that. <laughs> so so, uh, so scheduling the auditions was, was uh, it was fun. It was interesting. It's something I did as a high school kid. Um, but, you know, musicians are such wonderful people as a rule, uh, even opera singers who maybe get a bad rep for being divas, but um, it was it was fun. I enjoyed it. Well, I guess I was wondering if any opera singers would try to like really impress you somehow or <laughs> like the schedule an audition that wasn't supposed to be scheduled to try to persuade you or bribe you or uh, no bribes, <laughs> no bribes, actually. But I suspect, you know, there's probably two things going on. So I'm a high school kid, but I'm trying to. Uh, you know, this is in the days of answering machines, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people didn't have cell phones. So I'm trying to leave a very professional sounding email, uh, voicemail. And I think they would call and leave a message or talk and they would try to leave a very professional. This is so, so, you know, so probably on both ends of the phone were two people each trying to sound much more impressive. And they were probably sitting in their sweatpants, you know, doing something very quick. <laughs> it was maybe my first exposure to the art of, uh, you know, adopting a brand uh, voice and tone and style, though. So maybe it was a valuable lesson there, too. 
Well, and I'm intrigued by all those topics. And so you've got a book, The Workplace Writer's Process, which is releasing in the day of our recording. So thanks so much for making the time on the big release day. That's cool. And writing is so important and a skill often cited as something that professionals are lacking. So why don't you just open us up and share for starters, maybe some of the core principles or perspectives to bear in mind that orients us to this whole topic. Okay. Yeah. And I, I feel really strongly about this topic. You know, I spent um, my whole career basically working most much of my career as a freelance writer for different technology companies. And I would go in and do different projects. And when things would go wrong, I'd think, okay, well, how am I going to make sure that I don't step into that problem again? You know, how, how can I set myself up so I don't run into that problem? Um, and I ended up uh, with a very robust set of you know, processes that I would, that I would follow that helped me be successful. And, you know, it's not rocket science. Um, it's, it's taking a little bit of care. So the, the, the two, if I have two core messages uh, from this book that I would really like your listeners to um, absorb, one of them is this, that when you're writing in the workplace, it's a team sport. So you might be a brilliant novelist or something that, doesn't say anything to what kind of a writer you're going to be in the workplace because it's really about uh, understanding other people's needs, collaborating, uh, working with others. So writing is a team sport. Um, and if you want to be uh, the most valuable player on that team, right, um, process is your secret weapon. Uh, no matter how well you write as an individual, um, what matters is how you set yourself up, how you plan and execute the things that you're working on. Okay. Well, that's handy as a bit of a frame to start with. And so when you say it's a team sport, I guess I'm thinking about some scenarios in which we had a group of people riding something all at once. Oh yeah. And I found that to be suboptimal for my (laughs) personal approach and desire to efficiently construct a meaningful message. So what exactly do you mean by a team sport? Is there a place for this group simultaneous writing or is that indeed suboptimal like my instinct says it is? Well, you know, there's, okay. So I have actually, there is a chapter on that because there's sort of the the group collaborative writing. There's a, you know, writing by committee, which is just probably never good. Um, There's true collaboration. But what I'm talking about is something different. I'm talking about, you know, so I would I would be brought in as an external writer to work on a project. But my success depended not just on how well I wrote, but what happened in those first meetings where I really nailed down what it was people were trying to do, what the objective was, who the audience was. So, you know, when it actually came to the writing process, yeah, that was that was me sitting by myself somewhere writing, right? Mm-hmm. But everything that happened ahead of the time, ahead of the writing, um, there was collaboration. And after the writing. I mean, if you write something and you never get it out of uh, approvals or reviews, um, then you're not going to be successful. Or if you write something, let's say it doesn't need approvals or reviews, but it goes out and your readers, the people that you're trying to reach, uh, never see it or they see it and they don't get it and they just dismiss it, you are not going to be successful. Your success uh, as a writer depends on other people. Um, the readers and the other people in an organization, if you're writing on behalf of an organization. So that's the sense in which I mean it's a team sport. Okay, very good. And so then can you 
lay out then, you know, what are some of the biggest problems that lead to the teams losing, I guess, uh, ineffective business writing there? The biggest, the single biggest problem, if I had to pick one, is simply this lack of planning. Um, And we, we, we set off you know, at, at its most egregious case, uh, sometimes people would hire me to, and say, oh, Anne, you know, we need you to write three white papers. I say, okay, great. Um, so let's talk about the first one. What's what's the objective and who's the audience? And they say, well, uh, we don't know. We just need three for sales. Write them and then we'll tell you, you know, what's your messaging? How to, you know, write something and then we'll do it, you know. So, um, so there's that sort of lack of planning. And then there's also the lack of planning that happens when you just sort of are talking to someone and you assume that you know what they want or they assume that you know what they're talking about. Um, and so you write something and what happens in the revision process is when the planning starts. And that's just never fun. So, so lack of planning um, and writing without regard for the effect that you're trying to have uh, on the reader um, if you want to be effective as a writer, you need an objective. Oh, that sounds tweetable. That yes, rhymes. To be <laughs> you need an objective. There you go. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Because otherwise, what effect are you having? I mean, you have no idea. You have to have an objective. So you need to plan first. Well, so it sounds like, tell me then, a planning really consists of arriving at clarity about a number of key parameters or answers to key questions there. So could you lay out for us some of your top questions or planning checklist? I can. In fact, you know, I, I, I love the checklist analogy, like, uh, like airline pilots use a landing checklist or a takeoff checklist. You know, you should have a takeoff checklist before you write make sure you have answers to like six questions. And it, it's, it, it's a simple six-step thing. Uh, what's the objective of this thing that you're writing? Who's the target reader? You might have multiple audiences, but you got to pick one and aim for it. Um, what's that reader's reason for reading the thing? What's their reason? Why would they even bother? Um, what's the format What's the review process? Does somebody have to sign off on it? Who are the stakeholders? And what's the schedule? And if you can answer those six questions, then you're ready to write. And if you're doing something that is on behalf of someone having to ask, on behalf of someone having asked you to do it, someone says, oh, Anne, can you write a blog post? Or, you know, Pete, write a blog post about our new product. You make sure that you just, uh, it can be informal. Okay, just to recap, I'm going to do a blog post for the prospective buyer and, you know, just run them down and just make sure that everybody is in agreement before you start writing. And you will save yourself so much trouble down the road. Okay, understood. And I'm thinking about someone I know who was in a group writing situation. And when asked, they asked a question associated with some of these matters, I guess with regard to the schedule and the review process, the response was, oh, it's collaborative. And that didn't yeah. really seem like a complete answer to me. So do you have any pro tips on if you're not getting the clarity that you need, how do you summon the diplomacy and the persistence to get what you need? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting when you can't get clarity on these things and especially on the target reader or things like that, 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 that it's a sign that you really need to um, 
get that hammered out before you write. It's a sign that there's some issue there. Um, the schedule, the schedule can be waffly because, uh, you know, schedules change and they always do. And maybe people just take that for granted, but it's still better to uh, start out with that schedule in mind, even if you end up abandoning it <laughs> partway through. Um, you know, my best advice is just, just try to keep bringing it up. Okay, before I start, this is my understanding of what we're doing, right? And I'll give you okay and I'll go ahead. Um, it's sort of a gentle persistence, perhaps, is the best approach. Okay. So that's uh, one key problem is a lack of planning. What is another key problem and solution? So the other the other biggest problem that is particularly pervasive in the business uh, world is uh, the curse of knowledge. Uh, and cognitive science scientists and uh, behavioral economists talk about this as a, a term for our inability to forget, to unknow the things that we know. Once we've learned something, we can't remember when we didn't know it. And it's very hard to put ourselves in the perspective of someone who doesn't know it. Um, it, like a, a lawyer who talks to you and speaks in legal terms and you're thinking, why are they talking to me that way? I don't know what habeas corpus is or whatever it may be. Um, they just forget that you don't know. Right. Or a consultant or an accountant or an engineer or a coder. Yeah. And I think, you know, to some extent, the greater your knowledge, the heavier the burden of the curse of knowledge. Right. You know, because you have so much more abstractions and concepts and terminology that you work with all the time. It becomes a second nature to you. Um, and the issue is when you're talking to someone who doesn't share that same background as you. Uh, and there's a, a, a cognitive a psychologist named Steven Pinker at Harvard who studies language and the human, human language and human brains. And he has a great quote, which is... Um, the curse of knowledge is the single best explanation I know of why good people write bad prose. Mm -hmm. It simply doesn't occur to the writer that her readers don't know what she knows. Yeah. And there you go. That's it in a nutshell. And so what's to be done? What's to be done then if you've got the curse of knowledge? Well, so we all suffer from it, except rare individuals possibly. Um, and again, uh, you might have guessed, but my answer to this again is process. Um, try to embed the reader in every stage of your writing process. So we talked about the planning process and that checklist. One of the things on the checklist was two of the things. Who is the target reader and what's their reason for reading it? Why are they even going to pick it up and bother? Once you start thinking about the reader, you think outside your own head a little bit. Um, another way to do this is to come up with and envision a person who is your target reader while you are drafting, as if you were writing to them a letter. Uh, try to bring them to your head. That makes it easier to uh, get outside your head and remember that writing is essentially a, a two-part conversation. It's what you're saying and, and what they're reading. Um, I, I worked with a woman who was in the uh, HR field, and was writing, and she was relatively new to the field, so she'd immersed herself in that terminology. But she was writing some text for job applicants who were not, not, not applicants to HR, but applicants to the larger organization. And she showed me what she was written, and it was 
filled with a lot of HR jargon. You know, it was filled with a lot of sort of complex things that you would read if you were talking to a lot of HR people, but but the world outside was uh, kind of confused. So I asked her to try writing and just picture somebody else, um, not someone sitting around her at work, but someone that might be a job applicant. She came back and she showed me what she had written. And it was wonderful. It was clear and it was engaging and it was warm and just, you know, crystal clear. And I, I said, well, you know, what did you do? What did you do to, to change your writing like this? And she said, I envisioned my teenage daughter as I was writing. I wrote as if I was writing to her. And I, I thought that was fascinating um, how that transformed her writing because her daughter, she said, was smart but knew nothing about HR. So she knew she couldn't talk in those terms. You know, if, you, if you've been around teenagers, you know, if you, you know, use, if you're condescending or use a lot of words, they'll roll their eyes and just like tune out. So she, she, she knew she had to be clear and to the point, And yet it was warm and affectionate too. So it was very interesting. Oh, perfect. So that's one way to, to add a little process to, to get outside your head is to bring that, that reader there while you are drafting. Oh, thank you. Okay. So we got problem, lack of planning. We got Problem, curse of knowledge, and some solutions there. What else would you zero in on? Um, you know, the, I think if we can solve those two problems, and there's, there's, you know, we we all have problems with uh, schedules, schedules that shrink, and and uh, I think a lot of problems in the workplace are due to uh, basic misconceptions about writing, about the fact you know, people think that well, writing should take as long as it takes to get the words down on the paper. That's how much time you need to schedule, mm. right? So we can squish the writer because it's, you know, 500 words. You can write that in an hour, right? <laughs> so, um, and really the writing process is, is, is larger. It's, it's planning, it's thinking, it's drafting, it's revising. And these things need a little bit of breathing room between them. Um, so that's another problem is uh, sort of just misconceptions about the writing process. And any thoughts on addressing those well, just kind of making it very clear what are the steps and how long they take? Yeah, I think as a writer, you need to uh, be clear about your needs, be clear about your scheduling and say, okay, well, if you, if I can start this, um, then I can have a draft on this day. I'll need revisions. I'm going to need this much time to do revisions and just, you know, make the process and the steps clear and schedule for them and schedule in the little breaks and time that you may need. Um, if you articulate it, people will kind of say, yeah, okay, sure. That's, that's what you need. <laughs> so. Okay. That's good. And so then when you're actually sitting down to write something, an email, a document, a plan, job description, whatever it may be, do you have any pro tips on making that time as productive as possible? Yeah. Well, the, the biggest tip, and this will make it not just as productive as possible, but I hope as as pleasant as possible, right? Is to separate the drafting from the revising. Just give yourself permission to just write and explore and not have to finish it and revise it and make it perfect and send it. Um, so commit to having two two phases. Commit to writing a draft and then returning to it to revise. Um, because then you shut out that, you know, we all have an inner critic in our head and that we need that inner critic when we are revising, right? That's what the re revision is about. But it shuts us down when we're trying to write. Um, it's always shooting down ideas. It shuts down creativity. So just give yourself a chance to just 
write a draft with no pressure of making it perfect, and then come back and revise. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so now one thing that I find is tricky in my writing is I'm doing an email and I know what I want to say, but the challenge is people's feelings. So maybe, for example, let's say someone sent over an agenda for a meeting and I don't think it's good. <laughs> you know, I think this agenda isn't complete. I don't know what this means or that means what we're trying to achieve here. What would we call success? It sounds like if we enter into this meeting with that, then people are just going to share a lot of facts that I don't know if we're going to reach any actual decisions or outcomes or anything worthwhile. So that's really what I think. <laughs> right. But I mean, at the same time, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want yep. to in any way convey, I think you're dumb or bad or inadequate <laughs> and that you are just not valued in some way. So I guess I kind of go, I have this tension with myself between being sort of direct, clear, candid, blunt. This is the thing versus mm -hmm. you know, thinking about the recipient's feelings, emotions, and being hyper-conscious to not offend or just make feel terrible in some way with the writing. So I don't know if you have any perspective on doing that better or quicker, but sometimes I'm surprised that like a 200-word email will take an hour you know, for me yeah. to kind of get out because it's like, okay, I want to convey this, but I don't want to have it construed in any way as I'm a jerk who hates anybody or finds them inadequate. So how do I do that, Anne? Yeah, that's, you know, it's tricky because even when we're talking on this podcast, I have vocal inflections. I have a lot of clues as to what you're feeling and what you're saying. And when you just write, it's standing on its own and it brings to you know, the reader may, you know, like you said, become offended at something that you that you may not want to. Although in this case, it sounds like you sense that you were angry, not at the person, but you're angry at that agenda and its potential, <laughs> its potential impact on your life, right? Yes, sir, um, sure. So I think in this case, again, dividing and conquering is going to be good. You should write a response and <laughs> keep it in the draft folder. Do not send it yet. Um, and then try to cut down to the most return to it take a break, get, get out and do something else. You know, if you, if you don't have to respond immediately, uh, it's probably best not to respond immediately if you have an emotional reaction to an email anyway. Um, and see what the really, the key points are. You know, I'd like to see more action items. Do you think we should, you know, uh, and, and pull those out of the email? Because um, I think, if you're writing as you're feeling, which it sounds like you probably were in your initial response, that's what you wanted to do. Um, you may have a lot of words in there that somebody will catch on to and become offended with. And I think people are not offended if you're concise and very specific to the problem, not to them, but to the problem. You know, my concern about this agenda is that it could easily turn into a, you know, a long, um, whatever, you know, <laughs> something. Keep the focus not on the person who sent it, but on what's going to happen and on that agenda. But yeah, give it time. Well, and I like that. And so you said my concern about this agenda already helps sort of take away some of the emotional charge as opposed to my concern is. Yes. It's like, oh, it's ambiguous. It's amorphous. It could be affixed yeah. to the person or the document. Right, right. I mean, and this is true if you're, Whenever you have disagreements with a sticky writing thing, a sticky email, remember, it's not about you and it's not about them. It's about 
the thing or the reader or the customer. You keep the focus at where it needs to be for the business objective um, and off the personal if you can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so now, you know, we've covered a number of things here. If you were to summarize, like if there were sort of one huge bang for the buck type action that would give us a lot of return with regard to improvement on writing, what would that thing be that we should do? I really think it's it's the, the planning checklist. If I had to pick one thing that I could get everyone I worked with to do, it would be take this little six point checklist and do it the next time before you write anything, the next time before you do something for work, even if you want to write like a a LinkedIn Pulse thought leadership article or whatever. Take the six-point planning checklist and and walk through it first before you start writing, and it will make you more effective. Um, I know every time I shortcut it, I regret it, and my writing takes longer, and I've got to retrofit things in. Um, so I would that's what I would share. I actually have a um, on my website. I, I created a landing page that you can sign up and then just download the checklists from the book. You don't have to download the book. You can download the planning checklist, just print it out and, uh, and use it. That would be my biggest piece of advice. That's my mission. I'm on a mission. <laughs> I'm on a mission to get people to write more, but to, to think carefully about what they want to write and then write it. Okay. And so these checklists, you mentioned the six things. I mean, do you go into like sub detail associated with the six things or? The book goes into details how you do it. But I think if you just read it, you'll get an idea. It's like, okay, we need to have an objective. It goes into a little bit of detail on the checklist, but you know, it, it, it can be very simple. It can be, what's my schedule? You know, who needs to approve it? What's the purpose? What's this thing going to look like? Um, Things like that. It can be, it doesn't have to be and it shouldn't, you know, a good checklist should be something that's simple and easy to follow and everybody can understand. So that's what I tried to try to do there. All right. Well, so anything else you want to share before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Oh, well, it just, if you don't do these, the things, if you don't settle these issues uh, that are on the planning checklist before you write, um, often you're going to need to settle them after you've written. And that's just no fun. Right, it's no fun to have a completed work and then have the discussion come around. Well, who's really the reader for this? Or wait, why would someone read this? Right, you, it's no fun to have those discussions afterwards, and then it becomes very personal. And this person's right, and that person's wrong. When you have those discussions before you write, it's about the reader and their needs, and then the review process becomes about well, did we execute the thing that we were trying to do? It, it becomes much simpler. Okay. Well, in that case, Anne, can you start us off by sharing a favorite quote? Favorite quote. Um, So this one, I I think I said I'm on a mission to get people to write more. And I hear this from people often that, well, you know, people have already kind of written about this. Uh, Why should I write it again? And so this is my favorite quote from, inspiring quote from Seth Godin, which is, sure, it's been done before, but not by you and not for us. Oh, all right. That's a good one. Thank you. That should motivate you. I am. I am. I'm fired up. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> and how about a favorite book? Favorite book, you know, that's hard to ask because I love books and there are so many. But I think that your listeners, I would like to share a book called um, The Myths of Creativity by David Burkus. 
and it's about creativity in both an individual and an organizational context. And what David does, which I love, is he takes our sort of standard operating assumptions about things and he you know, shakes them around really hard up and down until insight falls out, <laughs> which is what he's done in this talking about creativity. So I think uh, your readers might find it enjoyable and enlightening. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? Favorite tool. I'm actually going to combine this with a favorite habit, if you don't mind, because I think they go hand in hand. There's a preparation. You looked at the checklist. I did look at the checklist. (laughs) (laughs) I have a thing about checklist. No. Uh, So my favorite uh, habit and tool, and this is something I do in my own writing. uh, We all have things we do in our writing that are artifacts of how we think or how we talk, right? They might be words or phrases that we use, maybe we say very or really or actually, and those words actually diminish what you're saying. I just used it right there, see, in speaking. They actually, in writing, words like actually and very or some, you know, they, they kind of ebb the strength out of your writing and your message. So I would suggest that you look for what your words are. And if you look in enough of your writing, you're gonna find your own particular set of words. And then the tool, which you have handy right now, I'll bet, is to use the search or find function in Word and look for those in your writing before you send it out. Um, I know I, I use the word some all the time when I write my first drafts. And then I do a global search and I look for it. And 95% of the time, I do not need it. It just weakens my writing and I delete it. And boom, I'm a better writer right there. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. You're welcome. And tell me, is there a particular nugget that you share with folks in your speaking, writing exchanges that really gets people resonating, nodding their heads, taking notes? Well, one that I find because I hear it so much, I hear people say, well, I'm not really a writer. You know, I'm not really a writer. People have a sense that you're either born a writer or you're not. Um, And I'm sure that a lot of your listeners, you know, identify as writers, but a lot of of your listeners may be people who have careers which involve writing, but they don't really think of themselves as a writer. Um, And so to them, I would say um, writing is a destiny that you choose yourself. You're not born a writer or not. You write. And if you are a writer, you think about intentionally becoming better at it. Mm. And if you do that, you're a writer. All right. Excellent. Thank you. And Anne, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I have a website, which is just my name, com, And if you go to that website, forward slash WWP for Workplace Writers Process, you can sign up uh, for my list and get those planning checklists. You can then unsubscribe if you want. I won't. My feelings, <laughs> my feelings won't be hurt. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> uh, thank you for the permission. <laughs> <laughs> And do you have a parting challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I would, like I said, I'm on a mission to get people to write more. I would say uh, take on, just stretch a little bit more. Take on another writing uh, project. When you When you put this process underneath you, it's like a safety net. And so it's okay to say, okay, now I'm going to you know, not dive under the table when someone asks for a blog post, but I'm going to step up or I'm going to, you know, really put some thought and write a really killer uh, project 
plan or project document or whatever it may be that you have to do, um, put a little planning and careful thought into it and just see what that does for you in terms of your, um, your, how your writing can support your career. Okay. Well, Anne, thank you so much for this and taking the time today on release day. And I wish you lots of luck with the book and all you're up to. Great. Thanks so much, Pete. I think Anne's perspective is so on the money there when it comes to who is this for and getting that really clear right up front as opposed to that after effect, like, wait, who's reading this and why would they want to read it? Indeed, it's no fun to have to return and go back. So, so good to get that clarity right up front to drive for it and to not accept an incomplete answer. And if you get one, maybe you just make up an answer and say, do we all agree on this? That was a great perspective there. So again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript, the links to items that we've referenced, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep191. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe so you'll hear from our next guest. It's Mark Henson. He is talking about how to zero in and discover your superpower. Hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you.